Matthew 26, 36-46 Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Thanks, Faye, for reading that to us. Please do keep your Bibles in view at Matthew chapter 26. Let's continue now with prayer. Father, as we come to your written word, please do keep our eyes and our minds awake by your Spirit, so that we can engage with and learn more about your living word, Jesus Christ, and apply that learning to our lives, so that you receive all glory and honour which is due your name alone. Amen. Well, I don't know how you're coping with this lockdown due to coronavirus, but not much has changed for myself as I'm used to working from home. I take young me, my wife, out to work and then I come back and I might go do some exercise around the local gardens, but that's about it. I've been praying with people regularly online and have done interactive church services every couple of days as people want them. And if you think that internet church isn't church, well, that's okay. You can think of it as simply an interactive time on the internet between people in different physical locations meeting at the same time where God is worshipped, prayed to and studied in the Bible by each of them. My biggest problem is forgetting to take breaks, unlike in normal practice where I go off to the coffee shop for a couple of hours with the newspaper. But I do know that some folks aren't coping with the lockdown and isolation particularly the extroverts amongst us. What can we do about that? As ever, the Bible has something to say into that situation. Let's start with our passage here, in Matthew chapter 26. The public ministry of Jesus has been going for just about three years now. It started when he was baptised by John the Baptist, when the crowds heard these words from God the Father. This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased, and where God the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus as a dove. Since that time Jesus has gathered his disciples, such as Peter, James, and John, with the words, Come and follow me. And they followed. 
During those three years, Jesus has traversed the countryside, announcing good news, feeding the multitudes, healing the sick, and raising the dead. Jesus, who was asleep in the back of a boat while his disciples were panicking in the midst of a storm. Jesus, who awoke, told the storm to stop, and it ceased. Jesus, who cared for the poor, the destitute, and the outcasts of society. Jesus, who taught with such wisdom and authority that people were utterly amazed. Jesus, who confidently walked upon water. Jesus, who throughout his public ministry gave clues to the events which are now coming into eventuality. Jesus, who clearly proclaimed that he and he alone was the living bread, the light of the world, the good shepherd and the gate, the resurrection, the way, the truth and the life, and finally declaring that he was the true vine of God. Whereas the nation of Israel was the symbol, Jesus was the reality, and it was he who was the long-waited-for Messiah or Saviour. Wow! Jesus, who not so long ago entered Jerusalem in that amazing scene to the shouts of the crowds. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. A very different scene from the one before us tonight. Earlier in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus predicted that he would be betrayed by one of his disciples and that all his disciples would abandon him at his point of need particularly Peter, who said that he would never do such a thing. In our passage tonight, we see Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane with his three close disciples, Peter, James and John. The scene is mentioned in all four Gospel accounts. You may remember that Peter, James and John had also been alone one day with Jesus, high up on the mountain where Jesus was transfigured before them. Jesus' face shining like the sun, and his clothes becoming as white as the light. These three apostles were overcome by that glorious sight as they beheld the transfigured glory of Jesus. Again, a scene almost opposite to the one in which they are at now. The name Gethsemane means oil press, and it is the name of a garden across from the Kidron Valley and at the foot of the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. I visited there back in the early 90s. Jesus has told Peter, James and John that he is overwhelmed with trouble and is full of sorrow and grief, almost to the point of death. Jesus has told them to stay awake, be alert, and to pray that they will not fall into any kind of temptation. Then he leaves them, walks on a little further in order to pray. And we seem to be seeing here a very different Jesus to the one we normally see portrayed in the Gospel accounts. While Jesus is in prayer, he begs, pleads and implores that God would take the cup from him. He cries out, Oh God, my Father, please take it from me. It's possible you could, you know, for all things are possible for you. Oh Father, please. Yet Father, not my will be done, but yours alone be done. The hour is nearing to when Jesus goes to the cross and Jesus is in such stress and 
angst about it all, that while in prayer his sweat falls like drops of blood. Such was the agony within him. This is called hemidrosis, which is where the capillary blood vessels which feed the sweat glands separate and rupture, causing the sweat glands to exude blood. This occurs under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. Such stress did Jesus Christ go through. The minutes are ticking by as the hour of the cup approaches. And we ask ourselves a question, did God the Father listen to these prayers of his Son? We know at the very least that an angel was sent to give Jesus some comfort and strength. Therefore, Jesus wasn't alone as he was praying. So to that extent, God the Father had heard Jesus' prayer, but had said, No, my son, and had sent a ministering angel to strengthen him and give him some comfort. Martin Luther, commenting upon this passage, said, Never do we see a man fear death like this man. As Roger Kirby from our church said in a podcast series he did for me at Partakers, Jesus seemed to be about to collapse in a heap of shattered humanity. Here, more than anywhere else or at any other time, we see the true humanity of Jesus. He was truly man and truly God, but that did not mean that he was some sort of superman who could instantly say, Ta-da! Hold on a minute while I put on my superman costume and cope with every event, including this one. No. Here we see Jesus as a man. Jesus here is not like some who would be angry or stoical. Jesus is being real, and he is indeed showing his true humanity, and if it was up to him and his will, he would really like to avoid dying right now. He knows he is going to suffer, and he really would like to avoid that. Jesus did not celebrate the approach of that hour of suffering, despite knowing it was for the salvation of the whole world of all time. If he had celebrated, it would have been something like out of a Monty Python sketch. Yet we see Jesus succumbing to the will of the Father, and if it means his own suffering and death now rather than later, then so be it. Your will, O Father, and not mine. We come now to a little word from these prayers. That word is cup. We'll come to another little word shortly. What is this cup that Jesus prays about repeatedly to be taken from him? What does it mean? Throughout the Old Testament, the cup is spoken of as God's wrath and judgment. An example is from Isaiah chapter 51, verse 22. This is what your sovereign Lord says, your God who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. It's similar in the New Testament. An example comes from the pen of the same John as here in Gethsemane when he writes in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 to 10, a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the 
cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulphur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. Three times Jesus prays this prayer to the Father. Take this cup, please, Dad. And between these three occasions, Jesus goes back to check on his friends, Peter, James and John. And despite being directly told by Jesus to stay awake, be alert and to pray, each of them succumb to tiredness and fall asleep. These are rough, tough fishermen who should be used to staying up, keeping watch and staying awake. You would certainly do that in a fishing boat, wouldn't you? But nope, asleep they fall. So while Jesus is labouring and labouring the prayer, they are snoring their heads off. Why are they asleep? No doubt the stress and turmoil of the succession of events over the last few days had worn them down. It had been a roller coaster of emotions, reaching the height of wonder, witnessing Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, and the falling depths of shock that there is a traitor amongst the twelve disciples who will betray their master Jesus, and Jesus telling them that he's going to suffer and die. Yet Peter, James, and John were commanded to be alert in constant prayer so that they would not succumb to temptation and disobedience. They were explicitly told to sit watch, pray, and be alert, and yet they could not last an hour. John, the beloved John, the one who is described as the disciple that Jesus loved. Peter, who not long ago said he would stand up for Jesus, no matter what and against whom. It's a reminder to you and I that Peter, James and John or any of the other disciples were simply ordinary people like you and I and not some kind of super spiritual people as we sometimes like to think of them when we put them up on pedestals. After waking them one final time, Jesus tells them you may as well keep on sleeping, though it won't be for long as the betrayer is approaching. Jesus at prayer, showing the intimacy that he has with the Father, the devotion that he has to the Father. What can we learn for today from this most familiar, yet also intriguing passage of Scripture? Throughout his public ministry of the last three years, Jesus knew that his mission on earth was to defeat sin and death. He taught about it. He told others about it, particularly his disciples. In both his works and his words, Jesus gave evidence to the people that he was the Son of God, their Messiah. The Jewish people were expecting a victorious and all-conquering Messiah who would kick out their Roman oppressors. But they had forgotten that the Messiah must also suffer and die. They thought that the Messiah would set up an earthly political kingdom, but Jesus came to set up a spiritual kingdom that would last forever. That's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Jesus' mission was to be the servant of the Lord and therefore the saviour of the world as God's Son. His purpose as the Messiah was not that he would lead a political overthrow of the Roman government as some had hoped. Rather, his purpose as the Messiah was to be God's servant and give a message of hope for all the spiritually poor and oppressed people. Jesus was and is the Son of God. But why would God become a human? Jesus, as the Son of God, became human in order to reveal God the Father. 
Jesus came to become humanity's advocate and high priest before God, to destroy all the works of Satan, to give an example of how to live a holy life pleasing to God, to prepare for the redemption of all creation, and by becoming a man, God has humbled himself. In this way, God himself has taken on the responsibility for our sins. The cup Jesus is praying to be taken away is referring to Jesus' suffering and upcoming death on the cross as a sacrifice under his Father's wrath. If Jesus' death on the cross doesn't take away the Father's anger against sin, then nothing can or does or will. No wonder Jesus prayed in Gethsemane that that cup be taken from him. But Jesus submits his will to the authority of the will of his Father. And by doing this, we are drawn to him in a personal way because Jesus' death on the cross takes away our guilt before God. God has shown that he loves humanity and he, that he wants every person to be in a relationship with himself. Jesus, as God in person, gives humanity a focal point to respond to. God does not force people to love him or it simply would not be love. He does, however, compellingly invite all people into a dynamic relationship with himself. When was the last time that you told somebody else about this amazing love of God and that free invitation? God's salvation plan for humanity involved victory over sin, death and the grave. However, no person could be found that was eligible or capable to do this. And because of that, God himself stepped into human history so that this victory could be achieved. This God-man would be need to be fully human so as to live every feature of humanity, including suffering and death. We Christians know and believe that Jesus was this God-man. Jesus was a human male, and this scene in Gethsemane shows and reveals his true humanity being under such duress that he sweats blood. That puts paid to some of the heretical teachings throughout history and of some churches and cults today who say that Jesus could not have had a real physical body and that he only really appeared to be human. Total nonsense. Jesus was fully and really human in every sense. And in this scene, Jesus knew that prayer is a weapon in spiritual warfare. Jesus knew God the Father was listening to his pleadings, or he wouldn't have prayed it. In Jesus' praying here, we see that words are not just to be a mental action, but also can be an emotive act, conveying passions, emotions, expressions, and our innermost feelings and desires to God. Wow! Twelve months ago, I shared here about prayer and Bible reading. How's your prayer life going? While we're in lockdown, most of us have plenty of time for prayer and to read and study our Bibles, as individuals, as families, and with others on the internet or over our phones. How are we getting on with doing that? I'm praying with people daily about this coronavirus and about issues which are personal to them. We looked at that little word cup earlier. Now we come to our second little word for tonight. The little four-letter word, will, where Jesus prays, yet not as I will, 
but as you will, O God, my Father. When it comes to the will of God, there are two kinds. There is God's directive will, which is those things God determines to come to pass, and will come to pass, such as the creation of this world in the beginning, such as the salvation of the world for all those who want to be his children. Then there is God's permissive will, which is all those things God allows or permits to occur. As for humanity, God has given free will to all people. People can choose to be obedient to God or not. Just as Adam, who chose to be disobedient back in Genesis, as did Moses, David, or Solomon. These are just four quick examples of people who we know were disobedient to God's permissive will. Jesus, being fully human and exercising his free will, could have said, No, I'm not going to go to my death right now, thank you very much. But he did not because he chose to be obedient to the Father and his will. If Jesus had no free will, then he would not be fully human. So how are we doing, as 21st century Christians, at being obedient to the will of the Father? Be that a specific task that God has decreed that you should do, or a general task that biblically God has decreed that all Christians are to obey. After all, it is again what we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Chris Cook challenged us about that last week. Let's look briefly at just two of those decrees which God has laid on my heart, particularly in relation to our current time. The current time is a great opportunity for the whole church, particularly in these two areas, the second one naturally flowing from the first. Now another little four-letter word, but with huge connotations. That word is love. Our first will of God to be obeyed is love your neighbour as yourself. Neighbour, of course, being any other person, and not just those who live nearby us. Jesus, speaking earlier in Matthew chapter 22, said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. We are living in an extraordinary time for the world and for the church. Today, amidst this COVID-19 pandemic, we in the UK are in lockdown. Lots of people, including some Christians, are living in utter fear and even dread. So how can we love other people at this time? We can take a cue on this from church history, as the early church was certainly no stranger to responding to such pandemics. Take, for instance, the 3rd century, as a pandemic wiped out the city of Rome at the rate of 5,000 people a day. One of the major reasons for the church's explosive growth at the time was their response to this pandemic and how Christians navigated the pandemic amidst the chaos it caused. Or we can go to the 4th century, when a plague hit Caesarea and caused the Emperor Julian to complain that his citizens, his people, needed to match the Christians in their virtue, blaming the rapid increase and growth of Christianity 
because of the Christians' benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives. For it is a disgrace that the impious Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well. A final example, this time from the 16th century, my mate Martin Luther, though it must be said under current government guidelines, we would probably be wise not to go as far as he did. It was the August of the year 1527, and the bubonic plague had come to Wittenberg, Germany. Everybody who was able to get out of the village was ordered to go. That included Martin Luther. Yet he and his wife categorically refused. Luther, along with his pregnant wife Katerina, stayed and opened their house for the sick and for the needy. As he was facing this plague, Luther said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus possibly inflict and pollute others so as to cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbour needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith, because it is neither brash nor foolhardy, and therefore does not tempt God. Brothers and sisters, we are to model Jesus' love to other people. All others, even those who say they hate us and wish us harm. All others, including those we don't get on with. All others, no excuse. To love only those who love us is what those outside the church expect as normal behaviour. But as Christians, we are to be seen to love more than other people. As Christians, we are to be radically different from other people in that we are to love extraordinarily and extravagantly, compelled as we are to reflect our love of God through loving other people, thereby reflecting God's love for them. We don't have to like other people as friends, but we do have to love them as fellow human beings. Love those we don't like? Well, now there's a challenge for you. The Christian loves others sacrificially, or is to, and thereby echo the very way that God loved and continues to love the Christian, exemplified in the life of his Son, Jesus Christ. The Christian should be so filled and magnetized with God's love and grace that it is a magnetic attraction to other people of the majestic goodness and love of God. And by loving others in this way, the gospel becomes attractive and undeniable. Can we run out of this type of love? No. Why? Because it is always topped up by the grace of the God we love, adore and worship. Wow! An outworking of this love is in our second will of God for tonight. It comes later in Matthew's Gospel from Matthew chapter 28, Jesus speaking. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here we are explicitly commanded by God to tell other people about Jesus, baptize, teach, and disciple them to follow Jesus. That is part of showing love towards people. Jesus' mission, partly seen in this passionate scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, was to be the saviour of the world as God's son. Jesus' mission was to give a message of hope for the spiritually poor and spiritually oppressed people of the whole world and of all time to come. People, when faced with this, have two choices. People, when faced with the good news of Jesus, can either accept it or reject it. There's no middle ground. There's no other option. Accept or reject. That's why as Christians we are to be actively engaged in sharing with people this good news about Jesus Christ. We can do it in many and varied ways, direct and indirect. We are to do it as Christians, regardless of whether we have the specific gift of evangelism or not. We are to do it as Christians, regardless of whether we have been called directly to be an evangelist or not. We are all to do the work of an evangelist, just as the Apostle Paul directed his young protege, Timothy. It has been amazing for us, some of us internet bods to see how in the last couple of weeks of this coronavirus that Christians are suddenly being very creative using the internet, mainly because they have to. They have no other real choice. And if you want to know more about that, I would love to help you, as I have other people. Alpha, Christianity Explored, and the Evangelical Alliance all have plenty of up-to-date resources and ideas for you to use and adapt. Check them out online. So as we conclude, what can we say? Last week, Chris Cook challenged us to be bold and courageous in doing what God's will is for us. Chris had no idea what I was going to say, and I didn't know what he was going to say. I hadn't listened to him at that point until after I had finished preparing what I was going to say here. Chris and I think that God is on the move. God is not in lockdown. Let's grasp that and go be obedient to the God we love, serve and worship as Christians. Fear not. God is in control and we can trust him and trust him implicitly. Just as in that garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knew that God the Father was in control. He trusted him and submitted to his will. So are we as Christians in the 21st century. We are to be like that. Direct any fear you have towards God and look to him for peace, security, sustenance, power and direction. You may even get an angel come to visit you, just as Jesus did. And if you come across a problem, then ask God for help, and he will help. He's totally reliable and trustworthy. Let's go and love all other people, even amidst this lockdown, telling and showing in all manner of ways about Jesus Christ and his amazing love for them. People are saying the churches are empty. Well, while the church building may be empty, the church is not empty because the church are the Christians and we've been deployed for service. 
Let's be obedient to him. Obedience not born from slavishness, but primarily born out of love for God and to show that love by loving other people. May none of us be found at any point to have fallen asleep in disobedience to our God. Let's pray, be alert. May we continue or even start this very night in some way to love others and to tell others who are not yet Christians the good news of Jesus Christ, as seen at Easter. We are to submit all areas of our life to our God and see that his will is done on earth for his glory and for the extension of his kingdom. Again, that's in the Lord's Prayer that we pray. That's part of the price we're to pay as his children surrendering completely to him in all facets of life and following him obediently wherever he leads, just as Jesus did. And we saw that in part tonight, and it will be played out over the coming weeks as churches around the world explore the events of Easter together, including here at Pounder Baptist Chapel. Jesus knew, as he prayed in that Gethsemane garden, God will turn suffering into glory. Satan and the world promises glory now, but in the end suffering comes. Let each of us resist temptation and seek to glorify God in all facets of life, bending our will to his will freely as we keep watch for all opportunities to serve without reward our God by loving and serving our neighbours as ourselves and telling others about our amazing God. On Sunday, we will continue to look at the events of Easter with Pounder Baptist Chapel online services. We hope to see you there. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who during his earthly life taught us to love our neighbour and to care for all those in all kinds of need. In this time of high anxiety, give us strength to comfort the fearful to tend to the sick and to assure those who are isolated of your love for them and our love for them. Help each of us who are your children to share with others creatively the wonderful message about your saving grace of reconciliation. We ask this, O Father God, through the name of your Son, Jesus our Lord and Saviour, in the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, seals us as your children, and unites us as your family. Your will be done, O Father. Amen.